the text is going to be Matthew 24. I'll be reading the entire chapter so you have time to find it. But I'll give you a moment anyway. All right, Matthew 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let with him, them which be in Judea, flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, 
believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Mark 24. Matthew. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Thank you, brother. Jason was gracious enough to read that for me so you didn't have to hear my voice the whole time. There's so much here that I want us to all now just narrow down each Sunday, if the Lord allows, to focus on one thing. Jesus said, when they asked him the question, what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? The wor Some translations say world, but it's age, which means period of time, dispensation. The world will never be destroyed, completely destroyed, until the Lord himself destroys it. Man will not destroy it. God will in the very end, after the millennium, by fire. But Jesus mentioned a lot of different things uh, from deception false Christ, wars and rumors of war, cataclysmic events, uh, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, apostasy, uh, deception, running wild. But all through that chapter, you hear the word Israel. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is the geopolitical figure, which is Antichrist, standing in the holy place, so this is a rebuilt tabernacle or temple, where the Jews worship the God still in unbelief concerning Christ, but belief in Yahweh, this geopolitical figure will stand in the holy place and declare himself to be God. And the Bible says to the Jews, when you see this, don't even go in your house to get a coat. Because Israel will be raped and ravaged. And uh, I, I forgot the exact figure. I think it's half or two-thirds uh, a staggering figure will be killed before the Lord comes back and defends her. Here's the point. Uh, 
with all of these things, all of these signs, when Jesus is answering the end of the age, this is what you'll find. You'll find uh, nations attacking Israel, that there will be wars and rumors of wars and, and an animosity towards them. Israel would have to exist. Israel is your primary sign. Everything is connected to. You can't have an end time uh, organization and like the dominoes you saw, you cannot have it without Israel. So the rebirth of Israel, which mathematically is impossible, there had to be a regathering a rebirth, and for them to save their distinctions, their religious, spiritual, governmental, priestly, to be scattered with just a few remnant people all across the globe to be gathered back together, and all of that to be intact is impossible. And that's the sign. And so I wanted, before we ever got into all of the other prophetic things, especially the apostasy of the church, you want to look for contractions, which is not the absolute fulfillment of a prophecy, but the contractions that come before the baby's born. But this baby's been born. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Father, I just ask for your anointing to let me speak with clarity. I'm not looking to inspire. I'm looking to inform. Let it become clear to us so that we might understand your scriptures. Lord, so few people thought you were coming the first time. And so few people recognized you when you did. May we be ready. May our eyes be looking towards heaven and our ears tuned to your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus identified Israel as a fig tree, referred to Israel as a fig tree. In Luke chapter 13, and the guys are going to try to keep up with this on the screen for you. We're going to be covering a lot of Bible. Does that offend you? We're just going to read the Bible today? Does that bother you? If so, that's not good. Uh, Luke 13. And Jesus spoke this parable, verse 6. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit from it and found none. And he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years have I come seeking fruit on this tree. Okay. The father is the the gardener, the husbandman. How long did Jesus walk the earth? Okay. These three years, he's telling a parable, but for three years the man came come tr- trying to find fruit upon this tree, and he found none. Cut it down, he said. Why cumbereth it to the ground? Or why is it taking up earthly space? May it never be said of us in our life when God looks at us, why do you cumber the ground? Why, why are you even here? What's, what's the purpose of your planting if there's no fruit? And the man said, Lord, let it alone one more year till I shall dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, you shall cut it down. Scripture interprets Scripture. There, there is no out of context. You can't just take a Bible verse. And this is what the world loves to do, especially the left progressive that despise God, despise the Christ, despise morality, despise godliness, and yet quote scripture. They just take one out of the, the Bible and say, you know, they just quote a scripture. And they have no idea of context. You can't do that. It, it's like if you open your Bible, you know, Judas went and hung himself. 
Okay. Go and do that likewise. See, it, it doesn't work. You can't just pick and choose. The Bible interprets the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, if it can be understood as it is written, take it as it is written. If not, then it must be a type. Jesus said, I am the door. Is he a door? No. But is he the door? Yes. You see, he's the gate. He's the light of the world. He's the bread from heaven. Is he a loaf of bread? No. But he's the bread of heaven, you see. So when we understand who the fig tree is, we have to listen to Christ. And he is talking to the Jews tongue-in-cheek about, let me tell you a story. There was a man who planted this tree, and he waited for fruit, and he waited for fruit, and there was not any. He said, why cumber to the ground? I'll cut it down. The, the, the axe is laid at the root of the tree in another place. Notice he didn't stump grind the root away. And when God judged Israel and cut them down, the tree was gone, but the root was still there. Okay? Letter B on this first point. Jesus indirectly prophesied what was coming. Matthew 21, 18 through 20, if you're taking notes. And in the morning, Jesus returned to the city and was hungered, and he saw a fig tree in the way, and he came to it and found no fruit on it, but leaves only. And he said unto it, let no fruit grow on you henceforth forever. And the fig tree withered away. And the disciples marveled, saying, how soon is this fig tree withered away? The problem was the tr- with the tree was not that it did not have fruit, but that it was presenting itself as fruitful. And the problem Jesus had with the Jews in his day and age is they declared unto him, we be Abraham's seed. And Jesus says, your father is the devil. Because if you knew the Father, you would know me. You would recognize me. So in the life of the believer, one of the things God will not stand for is you to name his name and tell others you are of him and not have the fruit that comes from the sap of the Holy Spirit. He can't stand it. Won't stand it. Letter C. Jesus told how thorough this destruction would be. Matthew, I mean, Luke 21, 29 through 32. And he spake to them a parable, saying, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, and one of these things is the budding of the fig tree, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. It is my understanding based on Jesus' referral and indirect comments and then of how God spoke to Israel being planted of the Lord and such that this fig tree, this nation of Israel coming together May 15, 1948 is that tree the preeminent sign, the continuous sign. You can't have an abomination of desolation without the temple in Israel. You see? Israel has to be there. There can't be a burdensome stone in the Middle East without an Israel. And so the rebirthing of a nation prophesied thousands of years before it. And according to to the unbelievers, to just world history that recognize not Jesus as Lord. It's the only time in the history of the world that that has happened. Imagine you... You're leaving your house. We're still on Lundy? Old Lundy? Okay, imagine leaving your house 2,000 years from now. And one of your descendants 
moving into your house with your name and bringing the identical furniture and the identical pictures and stuff. You say, well, that's just, that's crazy. That's impossible. Imagine an entire nation doing that. Do you see? Having all of the historical and uh, uh, biblical training and philosophies and the priesthood and all of the bloodline intact, mathematicians cannot calculate the odds because it's impossible. And yet, here Israel stands. Number two, Isaiah spoke of Israel being born in one day or reborn in one day. One day. Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. This was written around 701 to 681 B.C. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Jesus was using the example of something we could not miss. He said, can a woman have a baby without labor? Can you, can you have a baby without the months of discomfort and the labor in front of it? He said, but Israel, it won't be a process. It won't be an appeal to a governmental thing. It won't be an incremental, uh, progressive, like how someone would become a citizen of the United States, which that's a passing away thing now. Uh, there's a progress, a process you have to do to get that place. To become a nation, it would be a long process. The getting of the land, the writing of the constitution, all of that, preparing a nation is something. And, and Isaiah, thousands of years before it happened, said, is it possible to bring forth not a town, not a family, not a city, but God's nation, a nation, in one day? So let's look at part A. It was God himself who promised to bring the people of Israel back to their own land. Ezekiel 34, 13. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the other countries into their own land. I will pasture them, pastor them on the mountains and ravines of Israel and in the settlements of the land. When I read that preparing for y'all, I said, I, the only other place I hear the word settlements is West Bank. And the occupation of Israel in those lands that they owned. He said, I'm going to pastor them there. I'm going to bring them here. And then I'm going to pastor them in the ravines and in the settlements. So after many centuries of dispersion, hundreds of thousands of Jews returned to their ancient homeland beginning in the 1800s. No nation, just coming. And millions after May 15th, 1948. So you have this global war. You have this conflict. We're done. And then God puts on the heart of certain national figures to make Israel a nation. And in one day, one day, the map was redrawn. The nation was born. It was established. They were back in their homeland. I don't have the vocabulary to tell you how impossible that is. Much less that it was prophesied thousands of years before. And that it's the only nation in the history of the world with that record. Number three. This to me is really amazing. Ezekiel prophesied when it would be reestablished. This was around 593 B.C. Ezekiel 4, 
3 through 6. This is what God told Ezekiel to do as a prophet. Take unto you an iron pan and set it for a wall of iron between you and the city and put your face against it. And it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it. This is going to be a sign to the house of Israel. Then lie also upon thy left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days that you shall lie upon it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of days, 390 days. So also shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you accomplish them, lie again on your right side, and you will bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have appointed each day for a year. So back then, Israel and Judah were divided, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And God would use his prophets and he would do physical signs to explain spiritual realities. And he said, put iron between you and Israel. Put your face against it. And prophesy to them that they're going to be judged this length of time. Now follow this. This is amazing. Ezekiel said the Jews, well God told Ezekiel the Jews would be punished for 430 years because they turned away from God. This punishment happened when they were conquered by Babylon And killed. And those that were not killed were taken away as captives. Babylon was conquered by Cyrus. Many of you that study prophecy recognize that name. In 539 BC. And King Cyrus allowed the Jews to leave Babylon and return to their homeland. But only a small amount of people did. The return had taken place somewhere around 536 BC about 70 years after Judah had lost independence to Babylon. Because most of the exiles chose to stay in pagan Babylon rather than return to the Holy Land, the remaining 360 years was multiplied by seven. This is why you have to dig into the Word of God to find that you can't just have a superficial reading in prophecy. In Leviticus 26, it said, If my people do not repent while I'm punishing them, I will multiply it by seven. Now, I could go on and on with figures that you can't remember and I can't remember. But just listen to this. This is staggering. If you take the 360 years of punishment and multiply it by seven, not using our calendar but using the lunar, the solar calendar, you get 2,484 years. And there were 2,484 years from 536 B.C. to 1948, the year in which Israel was born. That is not prophesying the day and the hour Jesus would come. It's showing you evidentially with facts that it happened just as God said it would happen. Tucked away in scripture. Prophecy becomes clear after it happens. You remember Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost? He goes, oh, this is that which Joel spoke of. <laughs> this is, in the last days he'll pour his spirit upon all flesh. Oh, this is that. Well, that's the way it is with prophecy. Once it happens, you realize, see, when they were carried off into Babylonian captivity, this was horribly pagan. Uh, Temple prostitutes, perversions, idolatry, the offering of babies as sacrifices, uh, the worship of false gods. But they made carnal decision. Why go back to a land and cross all that desert To a destroyed city. We'll just hang out here. We'll be comfortable. Instead of faithful. We'll be comfortable instead of godly. 
And that's why God judged them and they stayed there the additional years. Also, scriptures prophesy that Israel would be reestablished as a united nation, not a divided nation. Ezekiel 37, 21. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they've gone. I'll gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land. Understand that for the majority of the history of Israel, there were two nations. The southern nation and, and the northern nation. And Judah was usually separate from them. But ever since the rebirth of Israel, there's been one nation. So that's not just something that happened. That's something that God foretold would happen. He said, I'll make them one nation and there will be one king over all of them. And they will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms. Number four. And by the way, we only have five. So you, we're good. Leviticus declares that Israel's army would be disproportionately powerful. Leviticus 26. Listen to this. Verse 3, 7, and 8. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, you shall chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. This is not a charismatic Pentecostal verse that says you chase 10,000 demons. It's not in there. God was speaking to our earthly people about earthly problems with an earthly manifestation of his support of them. Their power came from their election, not from their goodness. And he said, if you'll just walk humbly before me and, and obey me and keep my statutes, this is a sign that one of you shall chase how many? I gotta, I gotta, I, I've done read so much, I've got to go back. Hold on. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put... 10,000 to flight. So here you have in the Middle East a nation no bigger than Atlanta. And nations, huge nations, rich, resourceful, huge army, armies that outnumber them millions to one and nobody can touch them. Are they that skilled? Or is God that faithful to his word? Do you see? All right. Going on. Within, it, within hours of Israel's declaration of independence in 1948, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon invaded Israel. The attacking armies were greater than 20 million. And Israel had less than 1 million. And Israel won the battle... And got 50% more land than they had by the declaration. Okay. See, some of y'all are just like, mm-hmm. No, you're not understanding. This is the New England Patriots and the Mighty Might League seven-year-olds. I'm serious. On the football field. Okay? And the seven-year-olds... Without them laying down, with the, with the Patriots trying their hardest, in one regulation football game, beat them 1,200 to nothing. It can't happen. The math won't let it happen. The, 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 the weaponry won't make, allow it to happen. 
the coalition of armies against them, the strategic prowess of military leaders overlapping one another, the influence, the strength, the mass push of power. You, it can't happen. Yet it did. And not only did they win, they got 50% more land. Disproportionately powerful. During the Six-Day War of 67, so you're looking at 19 years later, Israel attacked the Air Force bases of the surrounding countries and took control of Jerusalem for the first time in about 2,000 years, seizing additional territory. There was another amassing of armies uh, preparing to attack Israel, and before they got off the ground, Israel just took them all out. That's where the Air Force got such a reputation. They cleaned their clock. They beat the brakes off those folks. Just, just, but how can not one plane get off the ground? Because God fighteth for them. Now, what God is to them in the natural, you cannot take their natural promises and apply them to yourself. But you have greater, more precious promises. Theirs are natural. Yours are spiritual. Theirs are temporal. Yours are eternal. Theirs are external. Yours are internal. You see, Jesus is, is, is even the more fullness of this. They, you should see their nation naturally and understand where you are spiritually. If I walk with the Lord, nothing can harm me. I'm not claiming Israel's promise. I'm understanding that he that keepeth Israel does not slumber nor sleep. And if you're not sleeping on them, you're not sleeping on me. Faithful to preserve. Faithful to protect. This divine accomplishment, listen, of disproportionate power in these, a six-day war. We're the largest, greatest nation on the face of the earth. We go to Iraq and how long? My military guys, I'm sorry. How long were we there? We're still there. We're still there. Okay. So I, I, I'm not being facetious. I'm asking those of you that have served, Jason and other uh, veterans. So we're the greatest nation. We attack. Now, of course, we've not invoked nuclear weapons. I understand that. But we're, we're still there. Is it possible for Atlanta to beat five nations in six days? Do you follow me? It's impossible. Now, I don't mean blowing them up. I mean physical combat, planes, tanks, and then the other five nations go, we give. How? God fighteth for them. God fighteth for them. Number five. Ezekiel prophesied the gathering together of the nation and the rebirth of Israel. In Ezekiel 37... And I'm not going to read that whole portion. I want to just tell you. He showed Ezekiel a a valley of dry bones. And he said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, thou knowest. I don't know. He said, prophesy to them. Tell them to come together. And Ezekiel prophesied to these bones. And imagine just a a skeleton like you would see an, an animal skeleton in the wilderness. All these bones scattered and they start to come together a foot against the shin and against the knee and the knee bone connected to the hip, you know. And all of it, all of it starts coming together. And here's this skeleton. And God says, and I'm going to put flesh and sinew on it. Prophesy. And he sees the skeleton become the shape of a man. 
Okay? In your Bible, in Ezekiel, let's just go to this one verse. Look at verse 13 and 14. Two verses. When I have put together this nation, and it exists, verse 13, you will know that I'm the Lord and that I've opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. That's fulfilled. Here's the part that hasn't happened yet. Prophecy sometimes has gaps between it. That's why the disciples didn't recognize Jesus coming. They were thinking Jesus coming in glory. So see, it's like mountaintops. Prophecy, 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 but they didn't see the valley. He was also coming as a savior. He was also coming not just treading the wine press of his wrath on a horse. He was coming in humility on a donkey into Israel, you see. So we don't always see all of the fulfillment at one time. And then Jesus says, and I will put my spirit in you. Sis, if you would come to the piano, please. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Wait a minute. I'll put my spirit within you. Oh, I brought you back to the land. You're alive physically, but you're dead spiritually. I talked to my good friend. I had lunch with him this week for a couple hours. I love uh, Greg Hirschberg, Rabbi Greg. And I called him yesterday to talk over my notes to make sure I was good about Israel. He got the end. He goes, you, you spot on, Johnny. You're good. So we, we were talking about this. And I said, do you see this valley of dry bones Do you see that as divided to where Israel became a nation, but their eyes are still veiled? They've not been born again. They've not seen. He said, oh, absolutely. I said, so where are they now? He said, in unbelief, just like anyone else. The promise was to them physically and nationally. But he said, I will put my spirit in them. Now, how does that happen? One more verse. Zechariah 12. And it shall come to pass in that day, verse 9, that I will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon me whom they've pierced. And they will mourn as a parent that loses its only son. So with all that we're going to discuss, with all of the signs that we're going to flesh out and look through, when, Je- when they said, Jesus, what is the sign of their coming? And at the end of the age, the end of this dispensation, Israel's always there. If you don't have Israel, you can't have the, the, uh, the uh, Jacob's trouble. Tribulation is Jacob's trouble. The nations, all the remaining prophecies have to do with Israel. Not the church. Some believe that, you know, Jesus is coming before the tribulation. Some believe mid-tribulation. Some believe after. He's coming. I believe it's before the tribulation for the church. And there's still, there's still signs that are going to happen that are going to take your breath away if, if we're here to watch them. Damascus. I don't know all that's going to lead to it. But the Old Testament's clear. It will be wiped off the face of the earth. And the Bible said it will never be inhabited ever again. Ever again. Ezekiel 38 and 39 has the battle of Gog and Magog. And all the nations are listed. There's uh, Russia and Libya and Iran and Turkey. I believe there's multiple. Did you know that today, 
Doesn't mean it's going to happen. But today, this morning, in Syria, at the border of Israel, is every nation that was prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39 to come against Israel. And they have never been allies before. And so imagine all the people with cell phones now. And the, the, the media capability to record in ultra high def and all. When they decide to cross over the line. The Bible said no nation comes to their aid. Whether we decide not to or we're not close enough to, I don't know. No eight may not have time to. And God himself is going to rain fire and hail from heaven with such force that almost 90% of their nation, their, the, uh, the Islam, the, uh, the, it will be wiped away. It said it'll be seven years burying the dead. Seven years. They will go through and flag where the corpses are. It might be something chemical because to flag something, I mean, not the average person could touch it. I don't know. Seven years. Can you imagine turning on your news? Do you remember how 9-11 changed everything? You just saw the news and they said, you're not going to believe this. These are unbelievers. This footage, I'll just let you watch it. And here's all these armies coming across into Israel and hail and fire comes out of heaven and destroys them. And a pagan announcer is asking them, where was Allah? Or, uh, uh, I'm not making light of them. They're just not God's people. They're not God's people. All of them are God's creation, but not all of them are his people. And he did not elect them because they were good. He elected them because he chose them. And Abram started out as a pagan. So, as we study prophecy, and again, I know this is not so much inspiration. It's a lot of information, but if you'll hold on for the next four, five, six weeks, it's going to weave together and you're going to see it so clear. Just watch Israel. Watch Israel. And then look for all the other contractions, deception, apostasy, false Christ, wars and rumors of wars, immorality, rampant uncleanness, the nations trembling, uh, men's hearts failing them for fear, all of these things so that you go, we're close, man. We're close. And you'll live in such a way that your heart is right, your heart is ready, and it's prepared for the coming of the Lord. Israel is your first son. And if he kept his promises to Israel, he will keep his promises to you. John, are you eternally secure? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am kept by the power of God through faith. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Never. My sins have been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. And if he's faithful to an earthly nation that rejected his son... How much more will he take care of the one whose son lives in him? We bless Israel. We speak good to them. We speak good about Be very careful not to get caught up in this uh, rewriting of history and that Israel is stolen land. And be, uh, you Just be careful. I know that you're inundated with it. And if a lie heard multiple times will make you convinced that it's the truth. Don't say anything against them. They're the apple of God's eye. That didn't mean that they're not without flaw. 
It means you don't have the right to say anything. Leave your mouth off of them. Leave them to God. I bless them. (laughs) This church, we bless God. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We thank you for the sign of this nation and of your faithfulness. And we bless you and we give you glory today. As we study these scriptures, Lord, make us more aware of you and more aware of your coming, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we're dismissed, Chris, if you would come, we got a couple announcements, and then Miss Felicia will come. Hey, thank you so much for playing for us. Would y'all bless our sister? Thank you for praying. And her babies play drums and everything else too, so it's a family thing. Well, I'll tell you something else. My parents and I have paid a lot of money for this type of teaching that we're getting today. You know what I'm saying? At school, man, I'm telling you, it's some good stuff. So don't miss out on these these wonderful teachings. Um, I just have a few announcements I want to share with you. Uh, First off, August 4th is Meet the Teacher. That's right. Summer is almost over. Can you believe it? August 4th is Meet the Teacher. Then on August 11th, we'll start our Sunday school classes. So don't miss out on those dates. Also, we have our Unite Conference coming up September 6th and 7th. Now, the last chance to get early bird and sign up for that is coming up this, I think it's this next Sunday. So make sure, ladies, that you go and sign up for that conference. You can sign up by the app. Now, listen, um, a lot of things have moved to our app on our phones and on our smart devices. So make sure you download that. I would get you to raise your hand. Who hasn't signed up? That way we can shame you. No, I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. We love you. But we want you to sign up, get the app, because it has the sermons on there, everything that you hear here we put on there. It also has all of these events and everything lined up on the, on the map and on a, you know different different calendars and stuff like that. It also has easy ways to give. And just, it's just the, it's really become a great tool that you need to um, be involved in. And then also, lastly, I got a couple of things for students. Listen, students, don't miss out on your chance to serve the community this Wednesday. We're going to be going down to uh, Mulberry United Methodist and enjoying serving um, lunch like we did just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're going to do it again this uh, Wednesday. And then following that, we'll be, we're going to uh, my house for a pool party. And then Friday... We're going to make and baking game. We're going to have all-you-can-eat food. We're going to have get you a free baseball cap. Well, not free, but for 15 bucks, you get all these things. You get your ticket, all-you-can-eat food, and a baseball cap. That's Friday. If you want more information, come see me or go online and um, check it out there. All right? Thank you so much for your time. Good morning. I'm not going to preach, I promise. Um, I promise. I'm so grateful for a pastor. He's been my pastor for a long time. I knew him when he was an evangelist before he even had a storefront. But he's a watchman. He teaches us and warns us according to God's word, and we are very grateful for you, John. Um, The Lord put on my heart probably about a month ago. He opened a door. Uh, probably 16 years ago to go into the prison in Hawkinsville, the women's prison on Wednesday night. But um, he opened a door for us and named it Disciple Makers. And he put on my heart about a month ago to start a Disciple Makers Sunday school class. And uh, as John's heart is to um, just call us on to look up 
to the one who is, who was, and is to come. Um, and his heart is discipleship, too. He does it all. But my heart is really discipleship. And he's called us all to be disciple makers. I've just got two verses I'm going to share here. And um, in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me. Obey my words baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, here we go again, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, on every occasion, even to the end of age. And we heard a while ago what the end of age means. So it's coming, and it's coming soon. And Linda, who's here today, she was born in 1948. So we're in this last generation. And what concerns me um, is um, this verse is probably the scariest verse in the Bible for me. And it's in Matthew uh, 7, 21 and 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence. You who acted wickedly, disregarding my commands. And what we're going to be studying in Disciple Makers is a tool that God has established for a long time. It was written by Henry Blackaby a long time ago. It's called Experiencing God. And it will help us to know God. It will help us to know His will. And it will help us to walk in, a, by Holy Spirit power, walk in obedience to uh, everything God has called us to, to do and to be in this last day. And it's not about what we do. It's about receiving His revelation and walking in His ways and depending on Him to work through us. We can't do it. We can't live this Christian life in our own strength. So I just wanted to give you an open invitation for discipleship. Even if you've done this study, a lot of people will say, have you ever done experience in God? And they'll say, I did that years ago. Well, God will meet you right where you are in your new circumstances through these pages. It's like when you till a garden, our hearts need to be tilled. And the world around us and the distraction around us will surely make a heart hard. The love of many in in that scripture will grow cold in the last day. So our hearts need to remain till. This is a tiller. It's a tool of God to help us know him and make him known and to know his will. So I just want to invite you. I've seen it change a prison. The women are doing it again. I told them three years ago when we started it, we need to do this every three years. Every born-again believer, the only prerequisite of doing this study is to be born again. And if you're not, if you're not we sure want to talk to you about that too but to be born again, and then Holy Spirit can teach us and guide us through God's Word. And I've seen it change Pulaski State Women's Prison lives there, and I'm just, God, this is the first time the Lord's ever put on my heart to just be a part of what He wants to do here as far as a Sunday school class, and it's an open invitation for every one of you. One last story, it changed a prison. Angola Prison was known as the bloodiest prison in America. Angola Prison is a men's prison that is a cemetery prison. Most lifers go there, 
but it became a seminary prison. And now those guys go out. They, the prerequisite for seminary, for them to get into seminary, is to do this study right here. God, through a warden, and this study has changed hearts of man. And now they are discipled, and they go out and make disciples. And that's what we're called to do in this last day before he comes. So let's just be about his business, okay? Thank you. Guys, on your way out, you'll, have, you'll see a sign-up sheet uh, for this class. It'll be meeting in the grill when Sunday school starts. So that will be experiencing God. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray together. Both sides of the table. Both sides what? On the table, on the table here. I'm sorry, right you in front. You want to look at it. Father, we just thank you for this day, for the promises of your word that are still yes and amen, for grace that is greater, Father, than all of our sin. And give us eyes to see, Lord, not critical eyes, but, but, but diligent eyes that we might see the signs around us and be prepared for your coming. We're praying that we be accounted worthy to escape the great and terrible day of your wrath. And as we hide ourselves in Jesus... Let us find us with no regret at his coming, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.